Ooh, it's uh, the 2nd of November at uh, 1.30 instead of 1 because uh, schedule was busy today. Not that uh, anyone else doesn't have other things to do, but it was definitely a crazy morning for me so far. Um, what else is new? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, if you're out there and you're listening to this, thank you for your time. Uh, and somebody told me recently that I'm supposed to start this off and say, please subscribe, please share. So please subscribe, please share, I guess. Uh, if you find this valuable, great. If you don't, it's a big internet. Don't. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Um, anyway, let's get moving because uh, there's more and more of, of the issue that we're going on. Very quickly, I always like to kind of do the, um, I guess you'd call it pseudo red team stuff if I can, because there's a big Citrix vulnerability that's going around if you're not familiar with this. And the fact that it is, is as uh, potentially risky as it is, is definitely interesting. So that being said, let's go do a little shodening. And shodening, is that a word? Nah, I don't think so. But we'll do a little shodening. And let's look and see what we can find on this particular Citrix vulnerability that is misconfigured and probably uh, an avenue for compromise. Uh, if you go off and just do a very basic dork um, within that, looking for the Citrix, and this is the Netscaler Gateway, Netscaler ADC, which the patches were issued on October 10th. Uh, and this allows session hijacking and targeted attacks, exploiting the vulnerability, going slightly down into that uh in the united states looks like there's about ninety-one thousand of these things uh and if we also go one more level deeper and you might be able to hear my my uh thing clicky clicking around uh looks like now just with a little bit more tailoring i'm looking at a few hundred uh that have this vulnerability that are out doing where they're at um and it looks like some of this stuff is related to what you would consider critical infrastructure. Literally, one organization that has their stuff in here says infrastructure in the USA, um, which is interesting. Matter of fact, because we're here, I'm going to go look and see what this organization is. Uh, web service database that manages documents comprising the official records. Uh, interesting. Uh, hmm. Okay. U.S. Army Medical Develop Department's Educational Developmental Intervention Services. I don't even want to know what the hell is behind that thing because now I feel like I'm getting myself into trouble. But uh, I'll make sure I notify them and we'll see if they do anything about it or if I get another one of my uh, super valuable um, cease and desist letters, which I think I'm just going to start putting together like a plaque on the wall with all these cease and desist letters and keep them there and sort of look at them whenever I get bored. Yeah. Uh, fact sheet. This was published November 1st. I didn't even know about this, so this is interesting. Biden-Harris administration convenes third global gathering to counter ransomware. I was not aware that there was a first and second that had been convened. Uh, this week, the White House convened international counter ransomware CRI, which I've heard of that. I'm sure y'all have. For its third meeting in Washington, bringing together 50 members, 48 countries, and representatives from European Union and Interpol. Uh, this year, the initiative welcomed 13 new members, including Albania, Colombia, Costa Rica, Egypt, Greece, Interpol, Jordan, Papua New Guinea, Portugal, Rwanda, Sierra Leone, Slovakia, and Uruguay. 
uh, along with Australia, Austria. So a bunch, I'm not going to read them. Let's just say it's a lot of countries in there. So let's see what they say for actions. Um, launch information sharing, uh, launching capabilities to disrupt attackers and the infrastructure fighting back. So launching capabilities, leading a mentorship and tactical training program. Okay, that's kind of interesting. Of course, they had to throw artificial intelligence in here because you can't have a conversation today without saying the words artificial intelligence. So that's listed in here. Information sharing, fighting back against bad actors. Um, really, it'd be great if they just updated the extradition policies and made it where you could snatch people, um, you know, <laughs> if they were doing illegal things. But we'll get there eventually. Uh, international counter ransomware task force, uh, operational projects. You know, there's like this is an interesting thing. Uh, I personally am not too uh, impressed with this because if this was making that much of a difference, we'd probably see it. Uh, if you look at the numbers and trends around ransomware, it sure as hell ain't slowing down. So uh, it's good that they're doing this and I applaud the administration for collaboration. And it's great that we have international partners that are working together on this and whatever else. But until we fix things like extradition treaties and put some more teeth to this whole thing, it's really just kind of posturing and, and maybe we'll learn something, but doing things is a different story. Um, that's just my two cents. Uh, you know, if you're wondering about investment in the space, like we are in a bit of an economic downturn, I think the term actually is recession. I don't know if anybody's ever heard that word, but recession is what it's called. I don't know why it's such a bad thing to say. Um, and everybody's kind of drying up on, jobs and whatever else and cyber has been vectoring and dialing back as well well if you look at the numbers around what's going on investment wise in this space it's continuing to outpace everything else matter of fact just today uh, there was another investment for 20 million dollars around zt for a company called zage i believe that's how you say it xage is it xage i think it's zage sounds cooler to say zage uh but they call themselves the real world zero trust company and they've gotten about $80 million in funding so far with another $20 million as of this morning. Uh, a bunch of typical Silicon Valley wieners invested in them. Um, strategic collaboration for critical infrastructure. Zage is tackling one of our nation's most urgent challenges to harden digital systems and critical infrastructure while protecting them against uh, cyber threats like everybody else is doing. Um, critical infrastructure sectors where they focus, right? Energy, manufacturing, healthcare, and government. Uh, looks like they're expanding into the Middle East. So it's not, this is not a cool go look at Zage, which is spelled X A G E, just for the record. It is just, there's more money coming into this. And if you look at the track of where money is going, it's going into more vectored, more potentially, uh, well, not potentially, more proven approaches to the problem, such as zero trust. Matter of fact, I think I looked at the numbers around investments in zero trust since um, mid year. And it is still like a three to one comparison over what's going on with others. So, you know, it, it's still a good space to be in. Uh, and the money is still coming in to hopefully do the right thing and fix problems. Uh, there's an article on Wired. Uh, the new era of social media looks as bad for privacy as the last one. I, I'm not sure anyone else's position is on this. I think privacy pretty much died with the internet. Like you... If you want to be private now, your only um, opportunity really is to go uh, like on a live in a hole and not deal with the internet because everything is on the internet all the time and you are constantly uh, online. Um, and we've put these weird 
legal requirements and stuff into the space, but digital's digital spectrum does not acknowledge those boundaries. Um, we're talking about 50 different states with 50 different requirements for privacy, none of which is actually enforceable. Uh, look at GDPR. Everybody said GDPR was like the second coming of digital Jesus. And what has GDPR really done? Made some fines and caused some stuff, but organizations budget for that. They they literally say, okay, cool. They know it's the cost of doing business. So has that made much of a difference? I would argue no. Um, but the, this this whole thing breaks down the way that this social media stuff is really pushing things over. It talks about Elon Musk and Twitter, um, which he's done a hell of a job of just gutting that company, which I don't know if that was his idea when he came in there, but he sure seems to have um, been you know, focused on it. Um, so here's where it gets interesting, right? You read through this and it talks about fines and FTC and whatever else, but it talks about there's a very strong corollary between the data that's collected about us via social media and then the automated tools that and platforms and other services use, which produce discriminatory results. Uh, so even for users who want to opt out of ravenous data collection, privacy policies remain complicated and vague, and many users don't have the time or knowledge of legalese to parse through them. You know, so I would say, um, at best, would you would you be willing to put a you know a claim that you know and can understand a privacy uh, document was put in front of you? Unless you're a lawyer, good luck with that. And then we're talking about the general population. I mean, this is why TikTok and some of these other things are as prevalent as they are, because no one reads the terms of service. Uh, there's been the issues with the ring doorbells. Are you aware that a lot of those have got or excuse me, um, language in it that ties into the police being able to use that? There's subpoena issues and whatever else. Like the privacy, I think, I think privacy is pretty much dead. Uh, it's sad, but it is true. Like if you want to be private, turn off all your internet. That's how you, that's how you're private. If you're using the internet in any way, shape or form, your privacy is at the very least at risk. Um, and it probably is already compromised. So that's just the acceptance of what goes on when you use the internet. I, I have zero, uh, you know, I guess you'd call it negative emotions about the fact that my privacy is pretty much under constant threat. It just is what it is. It's the cost of being digital. You could say, uh, this article is super crazy. So if you haven't checked this one out, I will, and I'll put the links to all this at the end of it, but you know, let me know when you're, or what you think of these things. Um, how a tiny Pacific Island became the global capital of cybercrime. Totally new to me. Super interesting stuff by Jacob Judah on technology review. Despite having a population of just 1,400 until recently, tokalau.tk domain had more users than any other country. Here's why. You can probably guess where this is going. Tokalau, which is spelled T-O-K-E-L-A-U, a necklace of three isolated atolls strung out across the Pacific, is so remote that it was the last place on Earth to be connected to the telephone in 1997. Right. Three years later, the islands got a fax with a business proposal that would change everything. It was from an early internet entrepreneur in Amsterdam named Juiced Zerbier. He wanted to change Tokelau's country code, TLD or CCTLD, the TLDs, you know what those are, .com, whatever else. Uh, up until that moment, Tokelau, formerly a territory of New Zealand, didn't even know it had been assigned a TLD. We discovered that we were .tk. All right. So that's what they are. Um there's a whole rundown on how all this transpired. I won't go through that because it would take me a long time. But basically what it boils down to is that this little bitty tiny country that's only got 1,400 people and it's 
and that's the country. Uh, it didn't have the money or know how to run its domains, explains the people who set all this stuff up, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this is precisely what business uh, wanted this thing to do. And then they took over and now it's become uh, kind of a farm for malicious activity. Um, this, you know, <laughs> they talk about like the fact that there are somewhere around uh, 30 times the number of users that live on this particular island. And it's right in the Pacific, so you want to guess who's you know jumping in there and using that stuff. Um, it's this is a crazy, crazy article. I had never thought of this. Uh, I had, I honestly had never even considered that that there was um, top level domains that were assigned to you know .tks and whatever else. I think Brunei has its own TLD, but that are being used for these types of malicious purposes, and they're out there. So. I guess one question would be, well, let's say that Tokelau is uh, a launching point for malicious cyber operations because that's how you do these things. Does that mean that we hack back against Tokelau, which has 1,400 people but has you know, exponentially more users than exist on the islands? Don't know. Good questions to think about. Uh, this was as of this morning on Reuters, Reuters, whatever. Boeing says cyber incident hit parts business after ransomware that threat as by Valerie Encina and Ziba Siddiqui. I said that right. If I didn't, I apologize. Boeing, one of the world's largest defense and space contractors, was investigating a cyber incident that impacted elements of its parts and distribution warehouse business and cooperating with law enforcement. Boeing acknowledged the incident days after Lockbit uh, said on Friday that it had stolen a tremendous amount of sensitive data and Lockbit. There's the posting to Lockbit uh, for their stuff. Um and they were basically saying that they would dump that information online if Boeing didn't pay the ransom were ransom by today. So I guess we'll see where that goes. Uh, the lockpick threat was no longer on the gang's website as of Wednesday, yesterday. And if it didn't immediately, and they, they did not respond to, for comment. It's funny that now we have like PR people for ransomware gangs. This issue does not affect flight safety. We are actively investigating the incident in coordination with law enforcement regulatory authorities. We're notifying our customers and suppliers. Now, what they should say is this doesn't affect flight safety now because the reality of this is if it's their part suppliers, we're talking vendors, third parties, contractors, et cetera, and someone's in there and doing things, it's not that you're going to be putting those parts on a plane on the 2nd of November. Those parts are going to go to planes over time. And what is, you know, what if they're shipping stuff that is not necessarily current or up to date or whatever what if they just slow down delivery of things based on ransom of those um systems doesn't that affect flight uh continuity doesn't that affect the business like the the, the follow-on cataclysmic impacts of these types of breaches and ransoms are not it's not really even that it is hitting boeing boeing big deal boeing's been hit before all the the compromises whatever but the follow-on effects are where the degradation of service occurs. And when you're dealing with things that are critical to life and health and safety, it might be six months or a year or maybe more before it actually becomes a material impact. Um, it's, it's concerning. Like I already don't like flying mostly because of the pilot issue, which if you were on or listening to my stuff last week, I think I was talking about some of the stuff going on with the, dude tripping balls on mushrooms and flying planes um you know there's a reason i don't like flying so yeah uh and i wanted to hit this one um because it just genuinely concerns me if there's any lawyers that listen to this or legal people that are super smart 
make some comments because it'd be great to get your feedback and input. So this is in Bloomberg, uh, Colorado court okays use of Google search data and murder case ruling is first test of legality of keyword search warrants. Um, and here's what transpired here. So this is in Colorado, their Supreme court ruled on Monday, which was last week that evidence gleaned from a warrant for Google search data could be used in a murder case, sparking concerns that the decision may encourage more police to embrace the controversial technique. So apparently in this case, there was a fire that killed people in the Denver area. Police couldn't identify suspects. They asked the alphabet basically to say, hey, Google, go look through your stuff and see if you can find anybody that searched for this particular address. This is what they did. It literally says that in here, using a novel approach and those keyword search warrants. So if I'm going into Google, and the, the the concept here is if I'm going into Google and I'm ad Googling some address and then a crime occurs at that address, maybe I'm the one that committed that crime and then I'm a suspect. So that seems pretty terrifying to me. Uh, after initial objections, Google shared data that enabled detectives to zero on five accounts, leading to arrest of three teens. Now these are teenagers, so they probably were like live streaming their, their dumb shit on TikTok or whatever, but there's, there's an issue here, like a genuine issue. Um, Lawyers for one of the defendants uh, was said that their client was found to have Googled the home's address 14 times in the days before the fire. So, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Like, why would you Google some address 14 times in the days before a fire happens and people die? Like, there's a tie in there. But if they didn't have suspects and this is their way of getting suspects and it becomes a charge and this is a life sentence. Um in a 74-page decision, the court found that law enforcement acted in good faith when it obtained the warrant for the teen's search history. Still, it stressed the findings were specific to the facts of the case. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And the case divided the court. One of the other justices basically said no, uh, but it's a court system, so they voted it out. Uh, but it's, you know, here's what they say about how this was done. Google said that it was important that the court recognize the significant privacy and first amendment interest implicating keyword searches. Okay, sure. And noted that it has a rigorous process designed to protect the privacy of our users while supporting the important work of law enforcement. The keyword search warrant is profoundly different from traditional search warrants seeking data belonging to a suspect the defense argued in court. Instead, the process operates in reverse, searching for everyone first and identifying suspects later. So, that's uh, an issue uh, as well. Um, where is the line on that? Um, I, don't, I don't, this makes me exceptionally uncomfortable just because having been like an expert witness in some court stuff in the past on the digital side, this could go sideways really quickly. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. But it seems to me like this, if people freaked out about what the NSA was doing about when we, without me getting myself in trouble, I shouldn't say when we, but in theory, uh, when the NSA uh, <laughs> was doing some of the things it was doing as far as like hoovering up data and then using that for searches to find bad guys and terrorists and whatever else, isn't this along the same lines? Because you take in data, which Google's got the data, then you run a keyword search and then you find a target and then prosecute the target. Just the difference here is the prosecution is not a JDAM. It's an arrest warrant. So sticky, sticky, sticky stuff. If you ask me, um, 
the deep fake thing continues to be interesting too. If you're not following what's going on along with some of this along the Israel and Hamas conflict, which again, um, I fully support the Israeli stuff. I think all this is uh, horrific. Um, there's a uh, proof on a fact check here where they looked at the videos that are being posted. So there were videos posted that were actually from India and Nigeria, but were shared as aftermath of Hamas attack in Israel. Um, the video shows crowds of people packed together in the street, pushing and shoving. Then the video cuts to fires blazing next to a busy road, and it was shared through Twitter and TikTok and all these other things. Uh, and basically the text on it, which has been translated, says right now in Israel. And this was shared a few hundred thousand times. Um, now, all you had to do here was do a reverse image search, and it ties to a YouTube video, which came from a festival in India from 2009 or 2019, excuse me. Uh, the video, blah, 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 which was far back. And then the other side where all the fires were was cobbled together from a different uh, video in Nigeria, which again, a reverse image search, search would have tied this up pretty quickly. So what happened here was somebody took an image, a short little video, like I think it was like seven seconds of uh, this party in India. Then they took another video, which was about the same length of this thing in Nigeria, where there was fires on the side of the road. They put them together and it looks like a scene of absolute chaos. And while this is not a deep fake, it is a manipulation, manipulation of digital imagery. And then they put it out to the Twitter storm and Facebook and uh, TikTok and everything else. And it became a narrative. Um, cause the narrative around this was like, here's what's going on. Uh, there's, you know, bombing going on and all those other things, which it, it's, it's troubling because of the potential to cause follow on harm, conflict and et cetera. Like what if there was a ceasefire in place and then something like this comes out, does that spin up the place again and go back to shooting at each other? Um, it's very possible. And uh, this type of thing is going to continue to come more and more often um, at at the United States. Uh, like, look at what's coming with the election cycle. Um, guaranteed, you are going to see this type of approach um, from uh, people. And it spreads super, super fast, you know, within hours. Or in some cases, within minutes. I think I saw the numbers on this video. It was within like 18 minutes. And the human brain is wired to respond to stuff visually faster than anything else. So when you see a video, when you see a picture, it causes more of an instant reaction in your, like you're hardwired to do that since the days of us running around caves and fighting off, you know, saber tooth tigers and whatever the fuck else, like we're wired to do that. That's why football players, typically the running backs have a really good sense of movement. Um, what you see your brain reacts to. That's why this type of stuff is so dangerous. It takes a while to read things. It doesn't take a while at all to look at something and make a judgment. There was also this stuff that went on. Um, I think it was Acapulco with the hurricane that just happened. Like there was people manipulating videos and pushing it out there as well. So it, it, it's going to get worse before it gets any better. I don't know when it will get better, to be perfectly frank. Um, if you are not familiar and I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this whole solar winds thing. Um, actually I can't get into specifics, but let's just say I've had some conversations around the solar wind stuff with people that are intimately familiar with what's going on there. Um, I have read through the entire charge document that was provided from the SEC, all 60 pages of it. It's pretty, pretty in depth. 
Uh, and it's really kind of, uh, I personally am torn. I'm not sure what other people think on this whole thing. Um, but before you make a judgment or, you know, even have a real thought about it, go read the whole 60 page document. Maybe I'll do a, a breakdown and put that somewhere where it's, um, simpler, but there's a, a standard that they're using legally. And I had to ask a friend of mine who is a lawyer, like how this works. There's this thing called Scienter, which, uh, I was not aware of S C I E N T R. Um, and that's part of what's been using here so that a complaint in a securities case support allegations of scienter with facts giving rise to a strong inference that the defendant acted with the required state of mind. Scienter is a mental state embracing intent to deceive, manipulate, or defraud. And that is what they reference a, quite a bit in this whole thing. And the way that they're spinning this in this particular charge document is like, look, here's here's this person's state of mind and then they're running through the proof that this is what this individual did to hide actions and was thinking as they were doing things which is the standard that they're meeting um now the question i think that still is worth asking is CISOs don't make decisions in a vacuum um so why wasn't the entire executive group charged in this particular instance i Unless that CISO was just totally keeping things all to themselves and never shared any of this information, which if they did, that's a whole other issue. But were they, sh if they were sharing this stuff, doesn't that mean that that same standard applies to everyone in the executive suite and probably the board too? I can't imagine a spot where you as the CISO for a company like this, that's making this much money and you're the dude in charge, not sharing those vulnerabilities and issues and fixes and whatever else. There's a whole lot of other stuff that shows up in this document. There's stuff about SolarWinds123 as a password on a server. Um, there's people identifying vulnerabilities, blah, blah, blah. But you've got to read through the crux of the charges to really understand what the government is using to go after an individual in this case. Does this mean that um, we will have less CISOs? Uh, I... I can say unequivocally, I have been interviewed for CISO positions that would have been financially life-changing for me, but I knew, I knew that they were going to crucify me. Um, I, I had zero misconceptions about the, when things went wrong and they would go wrong because the leadership was not willing to act on the simple things that we were talking about literally during the interview process. I knew when they had a breach that I was going to be the one put up in front of the uh, firing squad. And funny enough, a few years later, because I didn't take those jobs, that's exactly what happened. Uh, you know, I, I don't understand why people did take those jobs, but hey, money talks, I guess. But will this make it where we have less people willing to be cybersecurity C-suite leadership? I would think so. Um, it's proof that you are the sacrificial lamb, if you will. Uh, I don't, we'll be see where this goes, but read the whole document think for yourself, make your own decisions, do some of the research around the terms that they're using. Ask a lawyer friend. Most of us have those uh, to really get you some insight on what, what is going on here. I, you know, in my opinion, none of this from reading through it, none of it, in my opinion, met the standard of what I would deem cyber negligence. Uh, did it meet the scienter thing that they came up with? I would say probably so. Um, but where does it go from here? And then, doesn't 
pretty much everybody that is a CISO become at risk. There's there's many, many moving parts to this one. Um, maybe I'll try and get somebody on here that, that actually is either at the SEC or that is involved in this case and have a conversation about it because I'd love to know more from the ground. Uh, and there's things that show up in this uh, in this 60-page document that you're sitting there going like, whoa, I can't believe that that was really a thing. Um, but is it negligent or was it deceptive? The standard is difficult to define. Um, you know, I, what was it, Experian or whoever it was that had admin admin to the internet for like five years? Like that's negligence. Um, this stuff is more nuanced than that. I would say that this is more, more like most organizations that you see today from having worked with them and, and talked with them and those types of things. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, that's 28 something minutes. We found some vulnerabilities. Uh, if you've got Citrix, go patch your shit. Uh, we've talked about social media. We talked about the .dk domain, which is crazy. Um, other things there. So anyway, uh, I'll put the links to this again because somebody told me I suck at this. I'm trying to do better. So if you like this, you find it valuable, please subscribe or share. I, I think that's a thing. I'm not making money off of this. I just do it because I love the space. But anyway, do that, I guess. Uh, and if I can help with something, please reach out to me directly. And as always, stay smart, stay safe, stay secure. I'll catch you on the next one. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.